Shall we just open in a word of prayer before we have our message today? Our Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we can gather together in your name today to remember you this morning at the breaking of bread and now with the opportunity to hear from your word. And we just pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts today. It's nothing for me at all. I have nothing to give. Lord, I just have you. And I just pray that you will work by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring forth the message you want us to hear and touch our lives and encourage us and challenge us in the faith. Lord, hide me behind the cross. I am just your servant. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be lifted up high and glorified. And we thank you that you are the king, Lord, and you're coming soon. And until you come, help us to serve you with all our hearts. And we ask for you to lead us and guide us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So we all know the story by now that I got the call from our dear brother Adel a little after eight this morning. So the thing of it was, I'm supposed to speak next week. I was supposed to speak next week and I was going to speak on this message, but I hadn't even got a chance to, to put it together or prepare it yet. So the good thing about it was I had already studied it and I had already meditated on it. So may the Lord use it in our lives to encourage us. And we're going to turn today to Second Kings, the seventh chapter. Second Kings, the seventh chapter. This is a story of a bona fide miracle. And you know, a true miracle is something that cannot be done by man. It can't be rep- duplicated. It can't be replicated by man. It cannot be initiated by man. It's totally of God. And as we're going to see in this story from the seventh chapter of Second Kings, that only God, who is the limitless God, the all-powerful God, can, can bring about a victory for his people without them lifting even a finger. We've seen it in Scripture over and over again. And when that happens, all the glory goes to the Lord. As the hymn writer said, to God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. We have so much to be thankful for because God alone can do great things. He can do miracles in our lives. And this is no different. The title of our message today is The Windows of Heaven. The Windows of Heaven. Have you ever thought about how God has windows in heaven? Now, we all have windows in our home, don't we? And some of us have replaced our windows with the old window style with the new ones, the new vinyl windows and other materials that they use. It, it's great energy savings and you have these windows. They last a long time. They save you on your energy bill. They look nice and everything like that. But when you have really nice windows, it's not really about the windows, is it? It's really about what you see through the windows. Every time I go over to my mom and brother's house over in El Cerrito, they live up a thousand feet off the... Uh, Arlington Boulevard up on Thor's Bay Road, way up at the top of the hill. And every time I go up there, and especially on a clear day, and the view of the whole panorama of the Bay Area, all the bridges, all the cities, all everything. And if I go up at night, it's brilliant with all the lights. And I go up in the day and I can see, I'm always amazed by that view. It's my f- favorite view. 
But it's not about the windows. I never go up and say, Molly, Mom, you've got great windows here. No, I say, you've got a great view here. And that's what it's all about. And with God's windows, it's the same thing. Because when God controls the windows and He opens them up, He can pour out a blessing on people that we cannot even contain. Nor can we fathom and understand sometimes. But God is so powerful and so loving and does so many great things for us that we can just stand in awe and say, Thank you, Lord. You did a miracle for me. You did something I couldn't do for myself. You did something that everybody said could not happen, is impossible to happen, will never happen. And you did it, Lord. And you did it for me. And that's how good the Lord is because we have this personal relationship with Him and He loves us so much and He wants to work miracles in our lives and He wants to surprise us with what great things He can do for us. And all He wants us to do is believe and trust and obey Him and He will open His windows and He will pour out a blessing on your life. He'll pour out a blessing on my life. Let's read together. Second Kings We're going to read the seventh chapter and listen to this story. It is remarkable. Our dear brother Alan used that word about these remarkable things that God does, right? This one, Alan, is remarkable. Amazing. Second Kings chapter seven, beginning at verse one. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord were to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. They didn't have a very good choice there, did they? (laughs) Death or death. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, to their shock, to their dismay, if you will, they found it to be so different. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses and their donkeys. And they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Therefore, 
Come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. That's a skeptical man, isn't that, king? King is skeptical. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of them, Remaining horses which are left in the city, look, and they may either become like the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went out after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel, and a seah of barley, excuse me, a fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then after that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would open windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. What a story. What a great story of how when God gives a promise of a miracle, he fulfills it. Even against all odds, even against the word of this officer who doubts it, who doesn't believe it can happen, even the king, as we saw the king at this time of king of Samaria, was even skeptical about this being a trap that the Syrians would do. And as soon as you'd go out, they'd come out from the bushes of the trees and they would kill them. He was so skeptical. But when God does a miracle for us, he does it fully, he does it completely, and he does it beyond all human thought or effort. There's things that God does that we can't even dream about, that we can't even think, conceive in our minds. Just think of our salvation, for example. That is a true miracle that a person who is a sinner can be turned into a saint by God's grace. That's a miracle. And in the Bible, we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and God gets the glory for it. You know, I can't wait to get to heaven one day to meet Elisha. He's one of my favorites, really, because there's always the two together, Elijah 
and Elisha. And people get them mixed up sometimes. Elijah was the first prophet there. And then he took Elisha under his wing and he was he was mentoring him. He was discipling him. He was training him and they would go together. And Elijah was a mighty man of God. And the time came, of course, for him to die. And Elisha was with him and he knew that the Lord was going to call him up. And he said, Elijah said, what request do you have for me? And Elisha said, I have this request that that when you go up, that I'll have a double portion of your spirit. Now, this was a man of faith. This was a man who wanted something that was beneficial. He didn't just want the spirit of Elijah. He wanted a double portion of it. And that's exactly what God did. And as he went up, he says, when I go up, if you see me go up, you'll have your request. And sure enough, Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He did more miracles than Elijah did. And he did personal miracles about one thing about Elisha. He was always doing personal miracles for families, for individuals and for the nation. And he was an unselfish prophet who loved the Lord and loved people. And so in this story, we see that the city of Samaria is besieged by the Syrians and they were a powerful army and they cut off all supplies in. You couldn't get into the city and no one could get out of the city. And as this besieging situation continued, people were lacking food. The food supply that started here started dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. In fact, it tells us in the previous chapter that the king went around and he was up on the wall and he was overhearing a conversation of a of a lady there and they were talking about cannibalism and it broke his heart. It says he tore his clothes. And when somebody tore their clothes in the Bible, it was a sign of a great agony, a great affliction a great sorrow, and he tore his clothes and he was so sad and they didn't know what to do. They were confined in that city. They had no food. The army was all around them. Death was looming to every person. Worse than even this flu outbreak because it was affecting the whole city of of Samaria in in that area. And here in this story, we're seeing that Elijah makes the prophecy here that soon, he says, tomorrow, he says, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. He is making a prediction that God is going to do something so great that the price of food is so high, it's now going to be brought down to rock bottom. Well, how could this happen? Only God can do a miracle like that. And that's exactly What he did and when he mentions it to this officer, it says the officer on whose hand the king leaned, he tells the officer what's going to be. And he says, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, how could this thing be? He's limiting God. You cannot limit the limitless God. You know, it's amazing. God is the unlimited God and he created this world in a as, as a limited world. And he created us as limited creatures. We're finite creatures. We don't have the power. We don't have the wisdom that he has. And yet he wants us to depend upon him for everything. And he doesn't want us to get to the point where we doubt God. 
We should never get to that point. No matter how desperate the situation, no matter how hard it is, the Bible says in Jeremiah 32 and verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? You know, many of us mentally, spiritually, we would say, no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But as soon as we get in the trenches, as soon as we get there and it's right in front of us and it's happening to us, we can doubt, we can fear, we can be trembling with anxiety and worry and stress. And yet we should be like Elijah, claiming that promise of God for ourselves and knowing that God can do it. We oftentimes sing that song, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And these people, they experience such a miracle here. But this man, this officer, he he was not he was not buying what Elijah was selling. Elijah was selling a great victory by God for the people to deliver the people. And he's saying, look, can if this, if the windows of he- if you could, if the Lord would open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? You know, if you ever challenge God, you are going to be ruined because there have been people in the Bible that have actually thought they could fight against God and win. One of them is our friend. I don't want to call him. He's not really a friend, but Goliath, all nine feet, nine inches tall of him. He blasphemed God. He, he says, you don't don't think that I can't destroy you and look at all the nations that I've destroyed and I'm so powerful and I'm going to take you on. And, and David comes along, little David, little short David compared to this huge giant. And he says, I don't come to you with sword or spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he says, I'm going to cut you down to size, Mr. Goliath. And he did. He got his slingshot out with his stone and put one right in his temple and he died and he cut off his head. You know, anybody that blasphemes God and that challenges God that, God, you can't do this, he's going to do it. You know, if you ever follow sports, you'll oftentimes hear athletes say, I took it as a personal challenge. You know, Aaron Rodgers was a great quarterback at the University of California, Berkeley, and he was waiting to be drafted in the draft a few years ago, and he was waiting. Then number one pick, he thought he'd be picked. No, it didn't happen. Then it went down the list and down the list and down the list, and finally the Green Bay Packers, with the 24th pick, chose Aaron Rodgers. Well, the rest is history, folks. He became one of the greatest quarterbacks and is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL. And still to this day, he holds it against every team in the NFL, including the 49ers, who passed on him to take all these others ahead of him, including our friend Alex Smith, was chosen by the 49ers ahead of Aaron Rodgers. So we took it as a challenge and many athletes take it as a challenge. You tell them you can't do it, they're going to do it. But maybe they can't do it. Maybe they don't have the ability to do it. But when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He has the power to do it. He's unlimited. His resources are are great. There's nothing that the Lord cannot do. And in this chapter, we see how God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, turns the situation around on its head and takes away all these Syrian soldiers, every single 
one of them. It's an amazing story. And we read this story of four leprous men. Four leprous men. We all know this, the Old Testament about the lepers, don't we? They were outcasts. They had to live outside the city. They couldn't come into contact with people. They were considered even more contagious than even the flu bug because if you got leprosy, it was a death sentence. Your skin started to fall apart and, and it, it was horrible, horrifying. So they made the lepers stay out of the city. And if you did as a leper come into contact with anybody, you couldn't get too close. But if you could, you had to hold your beard and say, unclean, unclean. These men had to live outside the city. And so they had a very terrible life because they were lepers and they're hungry and they're starving like all the people in the city. And they said, well, what's for us? If we just sit here like this, we're going to die of hunger. Maybe if we go out to the Syrians and we ask them really nice, maybe they'll take us in, give us some food to eat, and maybe they won't even kill us. It's our only hope, really. It's not a good situation either way, but if we don't do something, we're going to die. So all four of these lepers went out and they went off to, to, the, to see the Syrians. But to their surprise, as they arrive on the scene, they see no one in the camp of the Assyrians. Oh, they see donkeys. They see horses. They see tents. They're all set up. Everything's there. They knew the army was there at one time. And that's how good the Lord is when he shows us a miracle like this, because he wants to show us what could have happened to us, but didn't because of him. He wants us to see that at the 11th hour, he came through for us and he leaves these little things around to show us what could have happened had it not been an intervention by God. And so when they come to the scene, they see that there's not one single Syrian soldier there. It's interesting, and I love this, that they heard the sound of chariots and they heard the sound of horses and it sounded like a mighty army was coming against them. So they fled from their lives. How did they hear the sound of horses, may I ask you? How did they hear the sound of an approaching army. They actually literally heard it. How did that happen? God did it. God's voice was heard in such a powerful way that they thought, we're going to be destroyed. Let's get out of here. And they all abandoned everything. They left it all behind. Their silver and their gold and their clothing, their horses, their donkey, everything, they left it all behind. And you can imagine these lepers who were expecting to maybe get their save their lives, maybe get a little bit of food. And all of a sudden they go into one tent and they get silver and gold and, and things. And then they go and they hide it. Then they go to into another tent and they get some more silver and some more gold and garments and all these things. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't do this. We've got to go tell the king about this, because if he hears about it and we didn't tell him, we're going to be punished for it. So let's go back and tell the king, because this is a day of good news. And it reminds us that the gospel is good news. And we as Christians shouldn't sit on it. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We shouldn't keep it in our own tent. We shouldn't hold on to it for ourselves. We should share it. He says they, one of the lepers is saying here, he says, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. And as Christians today, especially today in our world, we should not remain silent. We should stand up. We should make 
the truth of the gospel known. That's the only remedy for this world. It's not political change. It's not social change. It's not being a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. That's not going to save this world. That's not going to save this nation. What's going to save this nation is the Lord himself. If we bow down to him and acknowledge him as our God, that in God we do trust, not just on our money, not just on the buildings, but in our hearts, then it will be a day of good news. So they go back and they tell the story about what happened and they don't really believe it. And the king is skeptical, as we said, but then they go and they find out it is just exactly like these lepers had said. They told the truth. And so that became a great day in Israel. And it says in verse 17 of our of 16 of our chapter, it says, then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? These words are so special to me and should be to every Christian. According to the word, according to the word. When God gives the promise, it's according to the word. When he fulfills the promise, it's according to the word. When we pray to the Lord, whether it's in our prayer meetings on Monday nights or whether it's in our personal prayers and devotions, when God answers the prayer, we should thank him according to the word. We should thank him that he answered it. We couldn't just say, well, yeah, I got a, a, I, I'm thankful I got a new job. I worked really hard on it. I studied. I took all these classes and I improved myself. And no, we give glory to God according to his word, because there are so many situations where you get a house, right? That you were told it was impossible. It couldn't happen. You get a job, a great job or a great promotion. Couldn't happen, right? You got it. And you can't take the credit for yourself. You can't take the glory. I can't take the glory. Whatever good happens to us, it's from him. Everything from the smallest thing to the greatest thing. I love that. You know, when you pray sometimes for a parking spot and you go along and you're in a hurry and you need to get in right away. And all of a sudden, somebody pulls out of the parking spot and you get a spot, right? It just happened, right? No, we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You did it for me. Adel and I were at the farmer's market yesterday and we were driving in and we were a little bit later. And so it's more crowded the later you go to the one in Danville on Saturday morning. So there we were driving. I said, Adel, I, boy, it's crowded today. I don't know if we're going to find a parking spot. He says, well, the Lord will provide. All of a sudden, we're driving down there and right not very many feet from the entrance to the market, a car comes out and we pulled right in. You know, it's a little thing, right? But God loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for us in the little things or in the bigger things. And he does make promise. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'll provide for you. And we're so thankful. And so here in this story, we see that God turned the situation into a triumph. He took a bad situation and turned it into his glory, into a good situation. And so there all of a sudden, now we see the king is happy, the people are happy, everybody is happy, including the officer, and yet we notice what happened with the officer. The officer 
did not get a chance to eat of it. He didn't get a chance to enjoy it. Notice verse 17. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he had leaned to get, have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just as the man of God had said with whom, who spoke when the king came down to him. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. I love that. There's a song like that too. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And yet so many times we see how great the mountain is ahead of us. We see the Red Sea. We see the mountains. We don't see how we're going to cross that Red Sea. And yet God says, I'll make a way for you. I'll make a way for you. And when he does that, he makes it perfect. He gives us the perfect way. There's a scripture that says God is able to make a table in the wilderness. Think about that. He did that for Moses and the people of Israel. He he provided a table in the wilderness. He fed over two million or maybe even three million people, including the men, women and children of Israel in the wilderness with manna, with quail. He provided water from the rock. He made it such where their their sandals never wore out during the whole journey. Their clothes never wore out. This didn't just happen. These are miracles in the Bible. And God puts these things in the Bible and he puts characters in the Bible that we can relate to because we go through the same things that they go through as well. And so we can thank God that it happened just according to the word of God, just according to the word of God. You can imagine this officer who was probably so stunned when this happened. But it says they, the people were so wanting to get this food, they were hungry and starving and they just trampled him right underfoot. Again, was that just, did that just happen? No, it happened according to the word of God. According to the word of God. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't error in any way, shape, or form. His timing is perfect. His mercy is great. His grace is perfect. And so when he does something, he does it completely. And he does it so well. This man saw it with his eyes, but he didn't eat from it. And of course, it reminds me of one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And I love him so much, I can't wait to meet him in heaven either. And that's Moses. Somehow I feel bad for Moses because don't you? I mean, he did so well for the whole time coming out of Egypt, leading this people, praying for them, helping them, putting up with their complaints and their murmurings and grumblings. And all of a sudden, one day, the Lord told him to to speak to the rock. Now, one time before, he told him to strike the rock and he did strike the rock. And that was fine. That was perfect. But this time, this time, he told Moses, speak to the rock. Moses was so angry at that point with Israel. And I can relate to it because you can just imagine you'd be angry with them too, right? We see about how they were. So he takes that rod and he strikes it with all his might and the water comes out of the rock. He said, well, everything turned out right, right? They got water from the rock. Everything was fine. Wrong. God says, Moses, because you did not believe me, you did not hallow me, you did not consider me as holy, You struck the rock in anger. Moses, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. Wouldn't that be sad? After all the good he'd done and all the things he'd been through, but he did get a chance to see the land. The Lord took him up to the mountain 
And he said, Moses, take a look from north to south. Everything you're going to see this beautiful land that I'm going to give the people of Israel. You're going to see it with your eyes, Moses, but you won't be able to go into it. And if we don't believe God and if we doubt him, we're going to see the miracle, but we're not going to enjoy the miracle. We're not going to experience the miracle for ourselves. We have to believe it. In James chapter 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then the next verse in verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. May God help us to believe, to cling to Him, to hold on to Him and say, if God promised it, I believe it, and it's going to happen. And that is the story of this great miracle that happened here in the seventh chapter of the second book of Kings. Second Kings, go home and read it. Go home and enjoy it more. Go home and meditate on it. Apply it to your life. See what God can do. It's like the hymn writer that says, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, like here, he can do for you. With hands wide, with arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. We all have testimonies of times in our lives where we were at the very end of ourselves. It didn't look good. And yet, in the end, God brought forth his miracle, did a great thing for us, and won the victory. And it's no coincidence that these miracles still happen today for those who trust God and believe God. And so before we conclude the message, you know, I, Sonia mentions a lot of times that I speak on the Super Bowl Sunday, right? And it has happened before. But she says, I wonder, Dean's not speaking today. Well, it worked out he did. So I'm going to give you a little insight about the Super Bowl today. And so you can take this little nugget with you home. I don't care who you're rooting for, whether it's the Eagles or the Patriots or whatever, but I will tell you to root for one person in that game today. And his name is Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a born-again Christian. And I just heard yesterday that he wants to become a pastor. So say a prayer for Nick that if they happen to win that game, the Eagles, which they're not favored to win. They're playing the Patriots, the greatest team against the greatest quarterback, coach and everything. But if they happen to win, and if he happens to win the MVP, which oftentimes they give it to the quarterback because that's the star position on the field. And if he gets a chance, and he will take the opportunity to give all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So just remember... If that happens today, we'll have something to praise God for. Because you know what happened just recently in the game between Alabama and Clemson? They were playing the national championship game. I mean, Alabama and Georgia were playing in the championship game. And at halftime, the Crimson Tide were behind so they were behind in the game. Their quarterback was doing terribly. They didn't see any way they were going to win this game. Any way possible. So the coach took an unprecedented step. He took out his veteran quarterback, who was a senior that was not doing well, sat him on the bench, and put in a freshman, an untested freshman, who had not played more than a couple of plays all year. But this young man was a Christian. 
And he led that team not only in the second half, but he led them to win the national championship game. And twice after the game was over, once with the reporter on the field and once later when they were giving out the trophy, gave all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a young man from Hawaii and his whole family moved from Hawaii to Alabama and his younger brothers going to school in high school there in Alabama, and he'll probably be on the team in the future, but it was amazing. It was a totally impossible situation for a, uh, to bring in a freshman quarterback, but the coach had confidence in him, but he didn't even know it would turn out that great. And it turned out miraculously, and they won the championship. So God can do whatever he wants to do. Whatever he He's not limited. He's a sovereign God. He's an unlimited God. He's an all... Powerful God. And that's the God we serve. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this beautiful story in the second book of Kings. May it encourage our hearts, Lord, to trust you and believe in you when situations are beyond our control, impossible, no way out. We thank you that there's nothing that you cannot do. You're the God of the impossible, Lord, because nothing is impossible for you. We just thank you and praise you for your word that you've given us an encouragement today, a challenge today. And we pray, Lord, that we will believe in you, trust in you, and rely on you fully. And whatever you bring into our lives, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do for us today, this week, this month, this year. We thank you in advance for every trial and experience we're going to go through, every blessing and every situation. And we give you all the thanks, Lord, because you're a great God. We love you so much. And Lord, you've called us your friends and you love us and you care for us. We pray you'll take us home with your blessing and we do thank you in all things and for all things in Jesus' name, amen.